0: Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Have you ever found yourself disappointed out of your depth? Or felt like you've dodged a bullet. So I'm going to take my, my disappointment to start. Um, just before I moved to Manchester last summer, I was on my way to a job interview. Um, and I spent very little time in this city. Um, and this interview was over in Salford. So all I knew about Salford was like the nice keys and, and media city. Um, and I'd been on this charity, the job that I was planned for so was a charity. And I was applying for them. And I checked their website. And they had this really nice banner head of Salford Keys. So it looked great. Um, so I was like, get in, I'm going to work in a cool up and coming part of the city, maybe even get to work for an organisation that is doing some really important work in the community. Uh, mm-hmm. So the train from Oxford Road sets off, passes spinning fields and all those nice parts. Um, and then it goes past the keys, and I just watch it roll by and I'm thinking, maybe I'll just jump off the next one, have to walk back a little bit and it'll be, it'll be fine. But then we go on and we go on and then my stop arrives and it's Eccles. And most, most students probably won't know Eccles, so it's probably the equivalent of someone saying they'll treat you to a nice dinner and they take you to Greg's. Um, so I'm definitely not in the keys, but more on this in a little bit. Um, tonight we continue our series uh, on people of the Spirit, which I think is great because if we believe in Jesus and have a relationship with him, then we're also people of the Spirit. Um, let me just find my place again there. This series is as much about uh, you and I as it is about Barnabas from last week and Stephen, this week Um, and by exploring their lives we see what a spirit-filled life can look like and we can see that it gives us peace when we face pain, authority when we're faced with adversity and joy in the mundane. No matter who we are or how far we think we might be God wants that and offers that to all of us. And just to give an idea of who the spirit is, the spirit is God's presence and he can be seen working throughout the Old Testament and through Jesus in the Gospels. And then at the beginning of Acts Jesus lets the apostles know that very soon the Holy Spirit will fall on them. And then in Acts 2, there's the day of Pentecost, which is the fulfillment of what Jesus just said in Acts 1. So the Holy Spirit descends on this crowd of believers. People are shocked and come to hear what all the fuss is about. Peter, who's one of the apostles, stands up and reassures the crowd this was always part of God's plan. He quotes an Old Testament prophet called Joel. And Joel said, In my last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And so as Joel said, all people, which is cool because that also means us as well. Stephen was also one of these people. And there's a fair chance he was around on the day of Pentecost. Stephen is only around for two chapters. But God uses him, who is essentially another cog in the wheel, as a spiritual springboard for the early church. So if you want to jump to Acts 6, 1 verse 7, or it will be on the screen behind me. We're going to start there. So verse Sorry, that's, yeah, verse 6, sorry, my fault. Um, in those days, I'll read it out because that's not going to be wrong. Um, in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to the prayer and ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Niconor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas Nicholas from Antioch who was a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So the apostles as we read there, are super busy with the beginnings of the early church. They're now in control of keeping going what Jesus had started. Jesus had called Peter the rock in which he could build his church, and the rock in which he would build his church, which are big responsibilities on the shoulders of ordinary, uneducated men. But Jesus placed that blessing on Peter, knowing that he and the others would have the Spirit living through them. And then when issues begin to arise in Acts 6, Jesus knew the Spirit would give them the authority and the wisdom to make the right decisions. This didn't mean leaning on their own understanding and abilities to sort everything. It meant the opposite. They picked seven people in verse 3 who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Stephen is chosen as a deacon in the church to hand out bread to the widows, a job that is no longer being fulfilled by Jewish leaders. So Jesus' followers take up the role and go out. They leave the temple to serve those around them, which is a direct response to Pentecost in Acts 2. God's glory is no longer just filling the four walls of the temple. It's now filling his people meaning God's love can be experienced and shared anywhere, which is an encouraging thought because we can also experience and share this love in our everyday. Stephen saw God do incredible works through him, which led those opposed to the gospel to seize him and eventually have him killed. But in verse 5, Luke describes Stephen as a man full of the Spirit. And he uses this description to twice more, and it's clear how essential the Spirit is to his story. So what does a life full of the Spirit look like? For Stephen at the beginning, it looked like a humility to serve, So as I mentioned, Stephen's only around for two chapters, and in a few short verses, we find out he is of good repute, full of wisdom, full of faith in the Holy Spirit. God was clearly moving in a big way through Stephen, and yet his intro isn't into a big role amongst the apostles, but rather to fulfill a practical role behind the scenes, described in the NIV as waiting tables, which at first glance probably doesn't meet our expectations for someone who is described in such a big way. But it isn't until we dive into that that we realise the importance of, of the phrase waiting tables. Which brings us back to my first question. Have you ever been disappointed out of your depth or feel like you've dodged a bullet? Because I imagine Stephen would feel all of those at some point in his story without being filled with the spirit. And as for me, when I was on my way to Eccles, my, expecta- my expectations for, for where I might be working was up here. And actually what, I'm, what I got on the surface level was down here. But I got the job and at that point all I needed was a job. So I was disappointed But I wasn't put off. It wasn't until a few weeks in that I realised the importance of being somewhere like Eccles compared to a shinier, nicer part of town. The real humble groundwork gets done in somewhere like Eccles, not the self-righteous and shiny idea of doing good work. I needed that harsh realisation because it challenged where my head and heart were at. Which takes us back to the phrase in Act 6, to wait tables. If you've ever worked in a pub or a restaurant and you've waited tables, you'll know this just isn't enjoyable dealing with annoying customers who have forgotten that you're an actual human being. And if you've ever worked anywhere in the country on a pub, on a match day for football, rugby, whatever, then your medal is in the post because that is a serious, serious challenge. Um, But without that role, the restaurant or pub can't function. There would be mess everywhere, and there would be queues at the door because there wouldn't be anywhere to put food, wouldn't be able to put drinks. So waiting tables is pivotal to the role of a restaurant or a pub. So the apostles knew it was essential It isn't pretty or glamorous, and they didn't have the time to do it. They also know it would be taxing, and they need true spirit-filled people to do it, because humans couldn't sustain this on their own strength. So I reckon being spirit-filled should probably be in the job description for pulling pints. Um, Waiting tables or humbly serving will look very different for all of us. Maybe it's jumping on a team at church that you've put off doing for a while. Maybe it's meeting up for a pint or a coffee with that person you find difficult. And if anyone invites you out for a pint or a coffee after this, then maybe that says something about you. Maybe it's a dull act that isn't going to make being a Christian sound very inviting or appealing. It's probably not going to make it onto Instagram or be the first thing you mention when someone asks, what do you do as a Christian? But we're called to be faithful and humble. Whatever waiting tables is for you, it isn't for your glory, but for God's. And to spread the love of Jesus, there's an everydayness to humbly serving and being obedient that blends practicality and spirituality. And you might think, why am I here? I have no idea where this is going, or what's the point of me doing this? But God doesn't leave a job half done, as we'll see later on. This part of Stephen's story ends with verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Spirit-filled people, humbly serving wherever God required them to be, allowed the gospel to move, so the number of disciples increased. The middle section of Stephen's story begins in verse 8. And this is where Stephen's spirit-filled admin comes centre stage. Um, So this is verses 8 to 15. Hopefully this will be right. Um, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose from members of the synagogue of the freed men. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, They began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, and changed the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Stephen's heart is so firmly for God that he approaches this the same way he approached serving bread to the widows. Um, God knew Stephen was ready for this. In verse eight, Stephen is doing wonders among the people. He's still on the ground working away, doing his thing, but he's witnessing God move through him. And then by verse nine, he's already facing fierce opposition. And by verse 10, they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him. So Stephen, an ordinary, quite possibly uneducated man, is running rings around his opposition, and they can't keep up. So they drag Stephen before the Sanhedrin, who are essentially like a large group of of Jewish elders. Um, These are educated, authoritative men. So Stephen's opposition has now grown. But like it says in verse 15... All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Stephen is so filled with the spirit that he has the face of an angel. His face is literally shining. And to get an idea of the magnitude of this description, in Exodus 34, Moses comes off Mount Sinai with a shiny face because he's just met God. And the same happens to Jesus in Matthew 17. Stephen is really in good company. So Acts 7 begins with the high priest asking Stephen, are the charges against him true? Stephen's reply goes on for 52 verses, which includes a poem, which is a big time flex. Um, so I, I'm a screenwriter, I did that at uni, so I, I write scripts in my spare time, and I also do it part time alongside my other job. And as I was reading this part of Stephen's story, I was thinking about how this is the scene you would use to give a character their moment. If I'd, if I'd written Acts, I'd have been well excited, because this is the type of scene you think about from page one. Everything else is building towards it, you've been laying the groundwork, they've been grafted in, the audience loved them, you love them. And you know as you're writing or filming this part that it's all about them finally becoming what they're meant to be. Kind of seen it like like Eminem's final rap battle in Eight Mile, like Sam Gamgee when he saves Frodo and carries him up Mountain Doom, or Troy Bolton when he finally realised singing and dancing is so cool he ditches basketball and breaks free. <laughs> it's vindication for their experience, their growth and the reward we think they deserve, which is often what we want as well our moment to speak our mind, to be seen, to be heard, to be acknowledged. And acknowledgement and encouragement are hugely important in the workplace or uni, in your spiritual walk and in everyday life. But it won't sustain us. Being spirit-filled is what sustains us. Stephen gets his moment, seizes it and glorifies God. He's been filling up in the spirit rather than people. People inevitably let us down or don't meet our expectations. God promises to never let us down as long as we lean on him. And we shouldn't live for the stage either. But if it happens, know that God has given us the authority to be there. That is where we're meant to be at that time. And this is the point where everyone, me included, thinks of 50 reasons why that couldn't possibly be me. We say, oh, there'll be someone else in the room who that's for. I'm sure my time will come when I'm old enough, wise enough, tall enough, educated enough, have better hair, know my Bible enough, or I'm the best Christian I can be. Then God will use me. Um, So this is my out of my depth and dodge a bullet moment all in one. A few years ago at a prayer meeting, this guy that I didn't really know came over to me and said, I want us to pray together, and God is going to have a picture for you to give to me. <laughs> I am gutted. <laughs> I, I'm just not ready for this. My heart sank. I was like, I am not spiritual enough for this carry-on. Um, so I'm going to have to pray for this guy. I don't really know. I hope that God comes through with a picture. So we pray. I have this picture of a rope, and the idea that God was saying was like, that he is always there to lift him to safety whenever he's in danger. Thankfully, God comes through with the exact same picture he'd gotten three days earlier with some friends. I'm buzzing because I've dodged my bullet. Um, But even since then, the desire to find an excuse for why it can't possibly be has never faded, and probably never will. Recently, these verses from Jeremiah 1 have been a massive encouragement. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. God qualifies us, no matter our age or education, for whatever whatever he is calling us to do. And it might be admin, or it might be speaking in front of an aggressive crowd. Maybe it's the Sulfur keys. Maybe it's echoes. The Spirit gives Stephen the words to say and the tone with which to say them. This is the same for us. Stephen was full of the Spirit, and we can be too. And we do this by pushing in to what God has for us, praying regularly, reading our Bibles, and being attentive to what he's trying to do, which becomes easier the more we practice. Sometimes we might look stupid or feel stupid, but know that God can use whatever half-hearted attempt we throw out into the world. Our expectations for what we need to be will be up here, but God doesn't increase or decrease his response depending on how good we do. Stephen was a man full of the Spirit, who served humbly, which prepared his heart for the wonders among the people and words in front of the Sanhedrin, and finally to show Christ-like grace in his suffering. So Stephen concludes his 52-verse rebuttal that includes a poem. Flames are dripping off the mic, and if it was a nicer crowd, they'd probably be chanting one more tune and everything else. Um, But sadly, it wasn't that type of crowd. Uh, in fact the response from the crowd in verse 54 is they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Stephen isn't phased though he keeps going, he keeps shouting, he shouts and exclaims about the clear vision he conceived. Jesus, stood at God's right hand and the crowd respond by covering their ears and yelling to drown him out then they rush him drag him out of the city and stone him and this part of the story reminded me of this photo um, this is six year old Ruby Bridges and her mum She was the first black child to attend a white school in Louisiana. This was her first morning there. The entire community around that school are gnashing their teeth at her for getting an education. If you tried to talk to them, they probably would have done something similar to covering their ears and yelling. And dragging someone out of the town and lynching them wasn't out of their wheelhouse either. Ruby Bridges was the first very small step in radical change that is still happening. But they had the faith to be that first step without knowing the ending. Stephen's story concludes with his stoning. And while he's being stoned and killed, he prays for his attackers. In verse 60, he cries, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He has enough grace, the same way Christ did for us and has taught us to be for his oppressors, that he forgives that gives them and prays for their forgiveness. Stephen had enough faith that God would use him even in death. His death is the beginning of a wave of persecution against the church which forces the early Christians to flee Jerusalem but also starts the spread of the gospel. Stephen's example in his martyrdom springboards the early church into untouched parts of the world, which fulfills Acts 1, verse 8, that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So like I said at the start, God doesn't leave a job half done. Saul, who becomes Paul, witnesses Stephen's speech and death and goes on to lead the persecution against the church before he's converted. But Stephen had already prayed for his forgiveness in verse 60, long before Saul had even begun persecuting. Stephen knew it was bigger than him, so he kept his faith and was diligent in his prayer. And this all started with Stephen back there doing the admin and waiting the tables. So when we're out doing the groundwork and we ask ourselves, what's the point? Where is this going? We have to lean back into the love Jesus has for us. We have to ask for more of the Spirit to push us forward, to put our pride aside because God will be moving. His promise is up there on the cross. Stephen knew how great the gift was that we have been given. Jesus died because he loves and he calls us to love and serve others. And to do that well, we need to be filling ourselves up on the Spirit through prayer and spending time with him. And I'm going to finish with a little bit of a story of this in action, which again, only further hit home the importance of Eccles compared to the Keys, which I've been bashing them loads. The sulfur keys are fine, but, uh, but the work that, you know, the, the important work that we, I've seen just really gets done gets on done Eccles. So. Um, I work with kids who have been kicked out of school um, or aren't in school for a whole ream of reasons um, one in particular hasn't been in school in almost two years um, he's close to nocturnal and has been running wild in his house he's a single mum, she barely sleeps he has kicked all the doors in so there's no doors anymore um, his sessions feel close to hopeless he barely leaves his room or engages and has been like this for over a year the charity I work for is Christian, uh, so we pray for the kids we work with very regularly in our, in our meetings um, and our whole approach is that like, unlike some other professionals um, who tend to work with these kids, we don't give up because that's what Christ wouldn't do. Right? Christ wouldn't give up. Um, which, trust me, is easier said than done with some of these kids. Um, this kid two weeks ago left his house and did three sessions in the centre and interacted with other young people and staff for the first time. I was pleased because it made me look good. Like My sessions had been, had been the game changer. Um, but it wasn't until I turned around and seeing his mom sat on the sofa behind us in tears, that I realised the magnitude of, of such a small step. People at work, people I work with, have been doing the baby steps with him long before I ever got there. Um, and this breakthrough to them or to the mum didn't seem remotely close. And then it happened. Um, and I want you to think again uh, just about that time you were disappointed, out of your depth, or dodged a bullet. When, or if you have a scenario where are feeling like that again, How do you want to be?